Do you listen to a lot of preachers? Do you listen to a lot of sermons? Do you attend a church where you get a weekly sermon, perhaps even twice or even three times weekly? There are a lot of celebrity pastors these days. There are a lot of people on TV and the radios, and you have to kind of wonder where some of them are coming from. You have to even kind of wonder whether any of them are interested in telling the truth. I want to encourage you today that you have no obligation to listen to somebody, including me, just because they say they have something to say. What do they have to say? Are they just giving you their, their take on the gospel? Are they speaking from some kind of a traditionalist point of view? Perhaps they've given themselves over to the recent uh, Christian nationalism when they're and trying to encourage you to make America godly again by buying their products and listening to them and donating to their radio program. But that's not the gospel. And I'm jealous for the gospel. And I hope you are too. For two reasons. One is because it glorifies the Lord Jesus. He is at the center of things. I see so many churches these days that are um, pastor-centered, celebrity pastor-centered. Sometimes they even refer to so-and-so's church or this other person's church as if it was their church, as if they died for those people, as if they rose again on behalf of those people. It's a subtle thing, and some might think that I'm splitting hairs or, or being a little harsh, but from my vantage point as a Christian counselor, I see the damage that bad theology does. I know the work that we have to do to untwist minds that have been affected by bad preaching, bad theology, spiritual abuse, and it is rampant. You know, we even almost have to go so far as to question the character of American Christianity. I know there's a lot of flag-waving these days, and I know there's a lot of patriotism being espoused, but is the American character something the Bible tells us that we should be conformed to? Is the American character something we should aspire to? I understand. I grew up with truth and justice in the American way and mom and apple pie and Chevrolet and some of those um, social and, and cultural collo- colloquialisms. It's a hard word to say. <laughs> so I understand there, there, are some, there are some standards. But when you compare the American character to the character of Jesus Christ, do you dare even compare it? Do you you even compare the two? No, of course not. Your calling as a Christian is to conform to the image and character of Jesus Christ. Your calling as a Christian is to place your identity, hope, and purpose in the the one who rose and, and now intercedes for you. 
the one who died and rose again, and now ever lives to make intercession for you. Shall I say it again? You are called to place your identity, your hope, and your purpose in the one who died and rose again on your behalf and who now lives to make intercession for you. So let me read you a section of 2 Corinthians because there's two things that work today. There's the ministry of the new covenant, which is seldom heard, and there's the ministry of the letter. In other words, man-made attempt to save himself. And it's more prevalent than you would think. Now, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that I'm a big advocate of reading things within their context. So um, you'll have to settle in for a moment because I'm going to read a rather large section of uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Second Corinthians. But I, I believe it will really benefit you and give you some clarity if you stick with me. Okay, so settle in for a moment now as I read. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have to Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, was engraved, which was engraved in letters of, on stone came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? 
If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. End quote. I encourage you to read that section again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through chapter 3, uh, verse 19. Excuse me, verse 18. Read it again and again. Because there Paul speaks of the contrasts between the old covenant of the letter and the new covenant of the Spirit that gives life. I believe, if you're listening to this, that you want spiritual life. That you want a life that is of such a quality that it can only be termed eternal. Eternal life. The New Testament speaks of this life, and it is the birthright of every one who is born of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we are healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. It means that we have a treasure beyond measure, that we have been reconciled to God the Father through the blood of Christ, that we are now united with His Son, and all that is his is ours, and all that was ours he took on the cross. And at his resurrection, and at the outpouring of the Spirit, the new covenant he consecrated in his blood is our new covenant. We are no longer under that covenant which was engraved uh, on stone, but rather we are of that covenant now that has been where the law has been written on our hearts and our minds. We have a new nature after the one who saved us and that in whose image we are being conformed progressively over and over to each day. Think of what he says here in verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. End quote. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The new creation that we speak of in Revelation 21, the new heaven, the new earth, has already begun. It's made itself pre known in the present, in your regenerate self. Your birth, your new birth, was an act of new creation. And when you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, who took up residence within you, that was evidence that the new covenant of the Spirit was in fact operational in the present as well. And that the kingdom of God in its power is present. This is the Christian narrative. And believe me, we all need a narrative. We all need a story. We all need to belong. As is evidenced by so many people today who are following charismatic political leaders or following political and social movements, both on the left and on the right, and how people are giving themselves over to things that rational people would never do or believe or to act in ways that rational people would never act because the need for a narrative, the need to make sense out of the seemingly arbitrary evil that's at work in the world, there needs to be a story. There needs to be some understanding. And the Bible gives that to us. We don't need to look to a politician or a political movement or a patriotic movement or some kind of left-wing activism to try to find meaning in the world. God has sent his Son into the world. He has taken on at the cross your judgment. He has risen for your justification. And at Pentecost, the Spirit has come and sealed you so that your story is now rewritten into his story. You have been, you have died. You have been crucified with Christ. Your old self was crucified with Christ. And the story that you now belong to is not about Christian nationalism or some kind of religious traditionalism or any any kind of a story outside of the gospel. You are in Christ. Your person, your story has been written into the story of Christ. It's his story to which we belong, not our story. Sometimes I'll have a, a new client come into my counseling office and they'll tell me all about it. They'll tell me their story. And one of the things I tell them oftentimes, right up front, is the problem with your story is that it's your story. And your story is indicative of those in Adam and those who are fallen. It could be no other. So as tragic and as broken and as chaotic and as miserable as your story is, it makes sense. It's indicative. It could not be any other way. That's why that old person, that old you that you were in Adam, 
had to be crucified with Christ. The good news is there is a new story. You have now been written into Christ's story, and all that he is is yours. And all that you are belongs to him, not to a politician, not to a political or social movement, not to a religious tradition, but to Jesus Christ and God the Father. Just a moment of exhortation for you today. I encourage you to read this section again and understand that Paul is making it very clear, very clear here, that his ministry is that of a minister of the new covenant. And note carefully the distinction he makes between those two covenants. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, he says, not of the letter. There are religious traditions today who convolute the old and new covenant, who tell you you have to keep a Sabbath, you have to tithe, you have to do this, that, and the other thing, that the moral law is still imposed upon you. The law is the law, folks. No, if you are in Christ, you're under a new covenant. And you're not marked out by Sabbath-keeping or tithing or even church attendance. You are marked out by the Spirit of God and His presence in you. Hold true to that truth. Hold true to the freedom for which Christ died. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Grasp the life that you have in Christ. And don't settle for anything less. Amen.